folks, Katie here. Quick episode note, we had a technical issue that went unnoticed during the in-person recording session for this episode, and unfortunately we lost my end of the audio. We apologize for the audio quality this week and want to thank you for bearing with us. Audio quality will be back to usual next episode. Thanks. Podcast. I'm your host and Siamese cat owner, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one's ever heard of. So what's a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a fictional person. It's a role player that exists in this liminal space between an actual patient and a doctor and a teacher. SP. Sometimes it's a standardized patient, and sometimes it's a simulated person. Very nice. Wow. <laughs> I pay you to do that. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, so thank you. This is Nick DePinto. He is our guest for today, so yes. thank you so much for being here, Nick. Happy uh, to be here. He thank you. an American actor hmm. of no particular renown, according to <laughs> None. his own words. None at all. <laughs> he has a master's degree in classical acting, and he is a veteran of six national tours. As a voiceover artist, you can hear him as the X-Men's Colossus mm-hmm. in Graphic Audio's Marvel Comics audio adaptations. As a presenter, you can see him at all major ports of entry yeah, yeah. into the U.S. as the host of You've Arrived, uh, the U.S. <laughs> Customs and Border Protection Service's primary informational video for new entry into the USA. And on Amazon Prime, you can see him play Luke in Meant to be Broken. Nick is a friend to most and a constant foe of the darkness of the human condition. (laughs) He's also been doing SP work since 2008. Welcome, Nick. It's good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I have so much to say about your bio, honestly. But number one, I just have to say, I did not know this, uh, the Colossus thing. Yeah. And I grew up reading my brother's X-Men comics. Oh, there you go. So, like, I was really, really into X-Men. Who's your favorite X-Men? Um, Jean Grey, because I wanted to be her. Fair enough. Um, I don't know if she's the coolest one, but, like, I she's pretty awesome. to yeah. be her. And I want her powers. But I also really love Gambit. I think I always kind of had a crush on Gambit. Yeah. And Beast. What's your attraction to Beast? The well, other I two I get. I crush on Beast, I should yeah. say. No, no, I but just, what do you, for the character, what I do you like about he Beast? he was fascinating because he was so strong but it was, he was such a smart, intelligent person. Mm-hmm. Like, his background. I thought the character creation was really, really interesting. What I get are, it. What is yours? Uh, I think my favorite thing about X-Men is just the, the team dynamic. I like the yeah. interaction. And I liked, my wife and I, like, she laments the evolution of Cyclops insofar as that he's sort of gone from being essentially the mutant Captain America uh-huh. to being sort of this rebel, militant, almost villain sort of character really? in the X-Men universe. Yeah. You know, they've been through some traumatic events for the community, and he is a leader in the community, and he's got the sort of military, if you will, experience. And ultimately, he ends up sort of, I think, coming to this conclusion that this is a threatened population. And so we really have to be a little more on the offensive. And he used to be... Charles Xavier's Golden Child. Right. And, you know, the other end of the continuity there is is Magneto's, sort of like, we will take no prisoners and you will be subjugated by our will. And Cyclops sort of found himself straying closer to Magneto. And she she's really unhappy with the whole thing. Wow, so this is, we can do 
do podcasts on that alone. You could, you could. But but you were mentioning the sort of interesting contrary yeah. elements of Beast, right? Yes. And that's one of the things that's neat about Colossus is he's this huge behemoth of adamantium power, <laughs> right, from, from old Russia. But he's an artist and a poet and a painter. He's a very gentle soul. So he's a really great character in that regard. That's cool. Okay, yeah. I, uh, I plan on listening to that <laughs> at some point soon. I'm very, very interested. So, okay, but we're going to dive into SP work. Just because, you know. Why not? So it's interesting. I didn't realize you had also been doing it since 2008. That's also the same with me. Oh. Yeah, the same exact timeline. So Very cool. Tell me a little bit about like how you got into standardized patient work. I got into standardized patient work. I was sort of recruited into it. I, I was doing a play. And part of the leadership and, and uh, administration at my primary place of, of employment for standardized patient work saw me in the play. And afterwards, she caught up with me and said, hey, we have a, a similar point of interest. We know it's the same person and yada, yada. And she introduced herself and she was just really great. And at some point in the conversation, she said, oh, by the way, I hire actors for this type of work if you're ever looking for something like that. And I said, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, because I, I make an effort to try and keep all of my professional endeavors under the umbrella of acting. Mm -hmm. I really try hard to do that. And I thought, oh, this is cool. This would be another way to create a, a revenue stream that would be acting, right? Yeah. So I said, I'll do it. And she hooked me up with, with a gig. It was sort of like this case that I did once every six months or something. It's like every six months I'd get an email and they'd be like, hey, we're doing that case again. Do you want to do the case? And I said, okay. And I did that for maybe a year or two or something like that. And then one day I sort of realized there might be a lot more to this than I was thinking. I thought there was a little more to it, but one day I was sort of like, wait, maybe there's, I think I just reached out to her and said something to the effect of, you know, if you're ever looking for more people, I'd be interested in doing more of this work. And she said, oh, oh, well, okay. And then she sort of, then I was kind of off and running. She put me into a bunch of stuff and I've been learning more and growing more and expanding more in the industry ever since. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So it sounds like essentially finding out about it from the person who hired Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, even to this day, I'm not exactly certain how all the workings of the administration all go. I sort of, I, I treat it very much like an acting gig. It's, yeah. I have a case, mm -hmm. which is my role. I know what my sort of offstage duties are as well in terms of teaching and, and giving feedback. And I sort of show up and I do my part. I try and make sure that the character is real and alive and truthful. And the parameters of it outside of that, the sort of, can I move up in the ranks or can I kiss the right derriere or anything like that? I really have like no game at that at all. I, I don't even have a dog in that fight. Like I'm not even trying. Which is probably a good thing. I like it. I mean, it's it, more authentic. I, I hope so. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder because I look at some of my wonderful colleagues, the, the colleagues that we have, and I okay. see some people really blossoming, sort of creating a career in this field mm, sure, that's yeah. beyond just being the sort of grunt of an actual player, right? right? And I wonder about doing that, more of that, but I don't know if I really want to do that, honestly. And I like, that might be the, the yeah. part of it, yeah, yeah. Which, which totally makes sense because I think you're right. There are people can really make almost a full-time gig out mm -hmm. of it, especially with different universities and different places, but... You don't have to. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost as much or as little as you want to some extent. I, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think so completely. And uh, one of the interesting places I'm finding myself in right now is because I have a lot of experience doing the work at this point, at least chronologically, if not 
in quality. <laughs> but chronologically, I've been doing it for a while. So every once in a while, some of the institutions at which I work will reach out to me and say, hey, we kind of are looking for somebody to maybe step up and do a little more uh, of this teaching or do a little more of this or that. Are you interested? And I almost always sort of say, well, what's the time commitment? And then they, the time commitment is always like a real job sort of thing. And usually with evening hours, right? Later in the day. And so long as I'm as dedicated as I currently am to theater and the, the film work that I do and, and the music work that I do, that doesn't afford me the flexibility to have the life that I want. Right. So for the time being, I'm not yet committed to, I guess, blossoming the okay. career as an SP admin or something like that. Sure, you know, that totally, and I, I'm with you because I've been in that position. Yeah, okay, yeah. And made certain choices depending on the year, if you will, <laughs> or what's going on in my life. And yeah, there, there are pros and cons to both, I think. But yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. So yeah, thanks so much for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense. So you got started in 2008, kind of heard your trajectory. Do you work at a bunch of different places as an SP or is it more just like one or two? I work at like three or four. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I'm probably really actively only engaging with I think two institutions yeah I want to say three four I think maybe five and there's there's some other places that occasionally reach out but it's you know it's logistics it's do I want to do the drive can I do this can I do that the primary institution with which I work I really like working there Mm -hmm. I feel like it well trained I feel I am well treated I feel that the people there the community there is is a positive environment in which to work. So your SP as your day job, that is our topic for today. You've already talked about how it complements your acting work. Absolutely. Can you go a little deeper into what you mean by that? Absolutely. Okay, so uh, probably like a lot of actors, in my case, my trajectory for acting training was I went to school, I went to grad school. You heard in my bio, I have a master's degree. So I have a lot of sort of academic preparation for this industry. And uh, like probably a lot of people that went through my sort of trajectory, you come out and you have a lot of aspirations for making a big or at least making a strong career in very traditional paths. You're thinking of theater, you're thinking of film, TV, things like that. New media agreements with cool online programming. And somewhere in the middle of all that, you know, the industry hits you certain ways. Your business savvy might not be what you want. You might not like the markets you have to be in to be the most competitive, to swim the, as the, the fastest fish you can in, in those ponds. So you find yourself in, in other circumstances. And in my case, I found myself doing a nice balance of sort of theater work and on-screen work, which is something I know you know well. And the SP thing started to happen. And I did sort of initially see it as just a day job. It was sort of just a day job that could keep me completely under the umbrella term of actor, right? That I could say 100% of my revenue was coming from acting. And I Mm -hmm. kind of pride myself on that. I like being able to do that. That's a rare thing. So I like doing that. But the blessing of it, the real joy of it was that as I went forward more and more in it, I realized that... What SP work ultimately is for me is very close up, very truthful acting. So it's kind of like a little boot camp for film acting in a way, right? And it's also a little bit of really classical acting in a certain way because as a patient, you don't know what's wrong with you. Right, the, when you're, the character doesn't know what's going on, the standardized patient has read the script, knows the knows the case, and you, that side of your brain knows all the little things, the little invisible clues that you're giving, the subtle hints you're trying to lay out. Right, so a diagnosis can be made. But as the character, you don't know the stuff, and your character might be smarter than you, funnier than you, stupider than you. All those little things that characters are. Right, yeah. that's the joy of acting. And I found myself going, oh, I really relish these characters. I can see my wife in some of these characters. I can see my friends in some of these characters. And I felt that I could represent these people truthfully and also help to build a doctor. Just on a sort of, I guess, a slight sidebar regarding social justice or social responsibility, 
uh, as entertainers, I feel like we impact society kind of indirectly. If somebody chooses to find value or inspiration in what we do, then they find it. But that means that sort of our social impact is almost entirely passive. We're really at the mercy of the way their audience chooses to receive us. And I like the idea of being able to benefit my fellow humans. So when I use my acting skills and my master's degree and all of my years of training to help to make a doctor, I'm sort of very directly using acting to make the world a better place, regardless of how an audience may choose to feel about my work or whatever. I'm making a doctor, right? Yeah. And so I know that this little, my little drop in my pe pebble in this pond is going to turn into ripples that are going to save other people's lives. And that's a joy for me because... Yeah. You know, how many times do you take gigs where you think to yourself, I can only imagine what it must be like as a woman in this business. But how many times do you take gigs where you think to yourself, like, what is the real value of this particular project? Sure, right? Yeah. And of my particular involvement in this particular project. So the fact that we get to do this SP work where the way I view it is as very legitimate acting work mm -hmm. that also has the added benefit Maybe not even also has, maybe primarily is the, the great benefit to society that you're making a doctor, you're making a, a medical professional that's going to save people. Yeah. And that part of their training uh, is us. And I love that. So that's a long way around the barn to say that. <laughs> but but what, I, what I really like is uh, that at this point, I have what you would call a diverse portfolio mm -hmm. of acting work. Yeah. And it's still some stage stuff. It's still screen stuff. It's still all the things that I, younger Nick, aspired to do. Right. Those things are still popping and percolating. Um, and there's other things now in the mix. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic alone, if nothing else, really proved to me the intelligence and wisdom of that approach, of having a diversified portfolio. Because sure. I had, uh, I think, three plays lined up, right? Well, I was in one that opened the week before the world shut oh. down. Before we did our second weekend, the producers reached out to us on the Wednesday night before we came back for the Thursday. And they said, hey, uh, we're going to put this on pause. And it just never unpaused, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the other projects got canceled. One of them got pushed back. You know, right. it was pushed back for a year and a half. So if my only revenue streams were things like that, I would really be in a difficult situation. Fortunately, part of my revenue stream, maybe, maybe a third of it, I don't know, part of my revenue stream is the standardized patient work. And so some of the institutions that we've worked with um, very quickly, with great dexterity and integrity, were able to find ways to do online things pretty quickly. I always feel like March 13th was the day the world shut down for COVID, that Friday. And it was, I want to say within two weeks, one of the primary institutions with which I think we both worked was figuring out ways to do online approaches. Yeah. And I thought, this is great, you know? And they basically just kept refining it to the point where they were figuring it out. And then, of course, this awareness kind of went through the industry about, well, telehealth is also a big part of the now and probably an even bigger part of the future. Yeah, so sure. the online skill sets that we've been amassing in the last year and a half are probably going to be a practical part of our, not just an emergency part, but a practical part of our career going forward. So I'm really glad for all that. So when the pandemic hit, I lost a lot of work, like a lot of people did, but because I had a diverse portfolio of acting work, some of the stuff that maybe younger Nick might have thought of as a temporary thing became <laughs> yeah. really valuable, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I'm really, really glad that, mm -hmm. I, that I'm involved, that I'm in the position that I'm in. I'm really glad, really thankful. What a lovely way to put all of that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, hindsight is really interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah. like oh, aren't we glad yeah. that we made these choices? You ever think to yourself, like, good job, young Katie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you made that decision. <laughs>
Good job. Yeah. Sometimes I say to myself, like, I'll be looking for something, lost something, you know, and I'm trying to figure out where I put it. And I'll think to myself, I'll sincerely ask myself the question, okay, if I were Nick yesterday, what would I have done? And, and invariably, I figure out an answer. Yeah, what would yesterday's Nick do? And sometimes I have, I'm like, Nick, yesterday, you bad form, buddy. And other times I'm like, good job, younger Nick. Nice going. Exactly. <laughs> But you're absolutely right. And what's fascinating is, you know, talking about the pandemic, that Friday the 13th yep, of yep. March of 2020, I was at one of these institutions and I was, I did the last in-person job. And I remember we were actually working with fourth year med students and the fourth years didn't come in, but us SPs were still in hmm. and we got, we did a, essentially a telehealth, if you will, because they were just trying to figure it out. Wow. And then you're right, pretty quickly within a couple weeks, some things online started. And then I, with the same institution, one of the first events back. You, as a standardized patient instructor, and then also as a standardized patient, I think I saw you at one of them. Probably. Something. So it was interesting to be on both sides of it. And yeah. then also kind of in the middle in the, in the pandemic, during the pandemic, virtual. So kind of seeing all of the different aspects of it. But you're right. So then to follow up on like the using it as an acting tool, mm-hmm. you know, for screen acting in particular, which I couldn't agree more with. Mm. What characteristics in particular for acting have you found to have re- you've been able to hone more from the certain cases doing SP work? So I'm a big believer, and you, you, you may have heard me talk about this before, about the difference sort of between acting and performing. And I don't mean to denigrate either one or try and put either one on a pedestal. I just think they're different pursuits. I think about like game show hosts or, or like a host of a show or something. You have to be very charismatic. You have to be able to command an audience. You have to be able to have a great sort of sense of rhythm and great stage presence mm-hmm. and persona and be able to really handle whatever a crowd gives you and be able to deal with all sorts of different texts and all sorts of different people. That's a tremendous workload. And that is... And none of that is necessarily really acting work per se, right. but it's all like this performance work. So acting work isn't the craft of inhabitants. That is my definition for it. And I think SP work is really, really good boot camp craft of inhabitants. You have to be kind of selfless and you have to be kind of abdicating the idea of performance. You can't come in and be like, I want to, you know, exercise my Broadway muscles here, right? <laughs> you're in, you're on a small screen and you also have to really make certain, this is one of the one of the beautiful things I think about acting, where I think it deviates from a lot of performance in many ways, is that acting is maybe, in my opinion, one of the ultimate I am my fellow human's keeper endeavors. You really have to try and think, understand, perceive another human being's journey in this world as equally, if maybe even more valuable than your own for a limited time. So I think that that is one of the things that I get out of standardized patient work. I do the same role, the same case or something. You might have six rounds Mm -hmm. where for 20 minutes at a time, you're exercising your acting skills to start by saying, yeah, I don't know what's going on with me. I have a cough, for (laughs) example. And then you have to reveal information throughout the course of this or not reveal it, depending on what's asked of you, and react very honestly and truthfully from another human being's perspective, another human being's needs, another human being's fears. There's cases where depending on how the student doctor talks to you, you may reveal X or you may reveal Y. Each of those are from a very truthful place in your character. So I think that those are skills that are honed. There's an old apocryphal theater anecdote about Willem Dafoe. That I, when I first moved to New York and started my acting career, I, I met a guy who was uh, from my hometown who was there ahead of me. 
he was an older gentleman and uh, he'd been there through like the 70s and 80s and stuff. And he, I, I was picking his brain about the business. And he said he got to meet Willem Dafoe at a party once when he was like in the 80s. And he said he went over to him and he said, I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed, but I went over to him and I said, hey, I'm an actor too. And how did you get so good? <laughs> you, you played Jesus on The Last Temptation of Christ. How did you get so good? And he said, Dafoe said, well, um, you know, I act every day. I've, I've got this theater group that I'm a part of. Right, right? Yeah. The, the group, and 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 I, I do it every day, and I do I do check up, and I do all these things. And my colleague was like, "Yeah, yeah, I know. I, that's what I want to do." And Defoe said, "No, no, no, no. Don't you think if you did something every day, you'd get pretty good at it? That's one of the great benefits of the SP work is that people can look at it as just a day job that has nothing to do with their art or their craft or their career, and people can do that if they wish. I see it very differently. I see it as vital and integral to my acting career. I know people who, I just the other day I was talking to an actor, and they were lamenting that in the past year and a half, they haven't done anything creative. Oh, wow. Sometimes I cast readings for directors, friends of mine. Cast one of those, and a friend of mine said, hey, oh, thank you so much for casting me in this. I haven't done anything creative. I know they do SP work. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. so I found myself almost, like, sad for them. Like, you can't find the creative spark in SP work that you get from other things. And we didn't really discuss it any further, so I don't really know really their deeper feelings on it. Uh -huh. But to me, some of the skills that SP work affords me as a traditional actor are the fact that I am really acting daily. And part of my training is also in repertory theater, which is where you're doing multiple shows a week, multiple characters, and all these different tracks. So you're juggling a lot of life experiences in your heart and your brain. And standardized patient work also contributes to that, in my opinion, because it's not uncommon that some of these institutions, you come in at 7 a.m. and from 7 to noon, you do case A, yeah. right? And then from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock, you do case B. And they might be worlds apart or most frustratingly is when they're like really close together types of cases <laughs> Ooh, <it's tough laughs> well, yeah yeah and you're trying to remember all those nuances all those little details and, and for me that's where i think the acting stuff gets really exciting because it's sort of like well these are two different humans it's not just cases that are close together but with slightly different diagnoses or different obstacles in them to suit different learning uh, curves for the curriculum it has to do on my end of it think with this person is a certain age and a certain outlook on the world and they have certain fears about what this what this health malady might be. and the other person even though it's a very similar malady is in a different place in their life has a different social support system and sees the world through a different lens so as an actor these are really rich multifaceted approaches the character work you know i just i just love doing it first of all every every sp should listen to this episode <laughs> because <laughs> i think you should give a master class on <laughs> acting for sp like I, I, this is not yeah. just for the actors because yeah. we all do know that there are some sps that are not actually actors yeah. that are also good at what they do oh yes that are i guess are naturally kind of good actors mm -hmm. right yeah but don't identify as, as a professional actor and I think that anyone could get something out of what you're saying right now. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting, too, that in our business, I, I know the way that they they have, you know, before you were asking me how I got involved in the business, I mentioned I sort of got recruited in, and I almost feel like I came in the back door <laughs> or something, because like maybe five years into my work as an SP work, uh, one of the institutions was like, okay, are you available to work this day? And I said, what's the case? And they said, oh, we're doing new SP auditions. Oh, yes. And I was like, what is this? Because I didn't do one. I didn't either. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I, can't, I feel the same way. I don't know how that happened, but I somehow got in without having to audition. <laughs> I went into, you know, for the SP auditions. And 
they check with you ahead of time to find out because the way the SP auditions run, for anybody who doesn't know, is that we that's how you audition new like actors to potentially be SPs. It's just like it sounds. And they use us more veteran SPs as sort of people to help vet them and figure them out. And so they check to see if we veteran SPs know the aspiring auditioners, right? right? And if we know them, you know, they pair us with somebody else so we don't have a bias. And I've been very, it's been an engaging, interesting, and, and sort of something to ponder, I guess, that some of the actors that in our market work very often and are celebrated actors don't make the cut for standardized patient work. That's such a good point. Yeah. And to yeah. me, I mean, what, what my little brain says about that is that that's a difference between a great performer and an actor. Is mm-hmm. like there's a lot of people that I love to see, but mm-hmm. I know I'm getting the same kind of performance every time. That's what I'm paying for. Sure. Um, and then there's other people that I'm paying for the chameleon effect, right? Yeah. I'm paying for the Gary Oldman or the Samantha Morton <laughs> effect, right? Yeah. You know, we want to see people. That there's an old saying about Ben Kingsley that you never say, was Ben Kingsley good? You say, what did he do? And that's the type of acting I'm most interested in personally. And I think that's the type of acting that most rewards, most integrates best, I guess, with with SP work. That's the type of acting that does SP work the best, that type of actor. And some of our our colleagues that have a very strong skill set in being masterful performers, Mm -hmm. but maybe not as much in the transformational acting category of, of our business, have trouble doing this work. Yeah. They don't know how to do it, really. That's yeah. not that's not their skill set. Yeah, and it, yeah. you're absolutely right. And you just gave me an idea of, like, how fun would it be if we took some of, like, the most celebrated, let's say, A-list actors. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you got Meryl yeah. Streep in there. Yeah. You got Daniel Day-Lewis. You got, and they all, they all have an SP job. And we get to watch them. Yeah. Do the oh boy, wouldn't that be fun? It might be, and it's and it's. I mean, I always think of it as like. I mean, you like to eat out, like like good oh, yeah. restaurants, right? Yeah. There's times where you go to McDonald's, and the reason you go to McDonald's is because no matter what McDonald's you go to on Earth, mm. you're getting the exact same French fries. Yeah. Right, and then you go to other restaurants because you want to see, especially the really good ones, yeah. what that chef is doing. Mm, right, yes. and those are two yeah. different experiences. So there's some performers like an A-list sort of person like Bruce Willis, right? Mm -hmm. I think most of us enjoy Bruce Willis or have over the years, but we always get Bruce Willis. We know what we're getting. We're getting a Bruce Willis sandwich (laughs) and it's always Bruce Willis. But like a Meryl Streep or Daniel Day-Lewis, by and large, we're not getting a a Daniel Day-Lewis sandwich. We're getting whatever Daniel Day-Lewis, the chef, chooses to serve us. Correct. Yeah. There's an old rock and roll saying, you know, The Edge from U2 says this. He says, you never give the audience what they want. You give the audience what you as the artist want to put out there yeah. and the audience deals with it they decide <laughs> they deal with it but that's the artist audience relationship mm-hmm. the commerce relationship is you give them what they want oh so, yeah i think that's interesting and so I, I like that in our line of work we're sort of airing towards the artsy side of it the chef side of it yeah. we have to do the character we can't just show up and be awesome our pizzazzy charismatic selves <laughs> because our pizzazzy charismatic self might sell a lot of tickets but ultimately is not going to be a good sp probably yeah and i'm sure the students the med students would probably love it if we just showed up as pizzazzy <laughs> selves all the time not they'd be like oh we love seeing sps but not now for when we're all of a sudden terrifying them or uh, getting upset and they have to calm us down or something like that. So yeah, you're right. It, there is like that chameleon effect, that nuance, because to be a good standardized patient, you have to be able to be versatile. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to portray a certain character anywhere from something as simple as, oh, my stomach hurts to this huge life changing yeah. event just happened yeah. and I'm dealing with it. Yeah. We're both at the same time. Yep. Yep. And yeah, you're absolutely right. There's all of these levels of it. And 
and we almost sometimes don't know what we're going to get, yep. even from ourselves, which is what I love about it, yeah. especially with some of the higher stakes emotional cases of yeah. you know, they train us to go in there and give an authentic performance, as long as it's standardized, sure, but some of them are a little bit more like, yeah, you need to give this answer if the student has this question, but the way that you give the answer can be wildly different depending on how you're feeling mm -hmm. from day to day or student to student. If mm -hmm. one student is very clinical in how they ask it, you're going to get a different response than if somebody was super empathetic. Yeah. And and so I think that really, and that is like a scene partner. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah. yeah. You're always saying yes and, right, mm -hmm. to your to your scene partner, mm -hmm. whatever that student gives you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. In fact, some of the times that I think that I've surprised myself have been in those, as you say, that those high stakes cases. I've had a moment or two, you know, one of our, our admin leadership people recently was talking to us about de-rolling. De-rolling, de which was nothing more than the, the term that they were using for at the conclusion of your case. Oh. Make sure that you sort of transition from patient to your pizzazzy, sexy self, right? For in order to give feedback. Yeah. And so that there's a nice distinction for the students of who you are versus what the patient was dealing with. I think that's just part of the, the structure they wanted. But but I, I think there's been times where they'll, like there, there's one case that I know is, is a high stakes emotional case. And the way it's logistically structured, we do this case, very high stakes emotions. And then the students, they get, you know, 10 minutes to do it or whatever amount of time they get. At the conclusion of that time, they leave the room, the door shuts, and a little announcement goes, okay, you may now re-enter the room to get feedback. And there's one case where I've done where it was back-to-back. -back. You know, there wasn't any sort of turnaround time where you could really de-roll yeah. or compose yourself emotionally. And so... I'm pretty good at that sort of stuff. A lot of my training has to do with lifting the veil and things mm -hmm. like that that'll help you transition. But I've had times where you were authentic in the moment as the person experiencing emotional trauma. And then within three minutes, you're talking to a student, you're saying, so how did this go for you? Yeah. Right? And in the process of giving feedback, you say, well, when you said this to me, I felt, and there have been times where I haven't quite been all the way out of the oven. At least one time, I actually, I was weeping and I started to weep just a little bit more. And I said, I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's not you or anything. And I'm just close to this, you know, I'm, I'm still sort of in that emotional space. But this yeah. is to show you that I got here. And I told them, I used it as a teaching moment, if uh -huh. you will. I said, this is to demonstrate also that this isn't something I'm making up for your benefit now. This is something that came organically mm -hmm. because of our interaction mm -hmm. during the encounter. Yeah. You did X, I reacted Y, you reacted Z, and pretty soon I was in AAA territory, and now I'm weeping before you. And so I said, so um, some of that's still left over, and that's how sincere, deep, and powerful that moment was for me as the other human in the room breathing your oxygen with you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's what it was. So even though I'm a professional, a few minutes later, I can look you in the eye and say, this was powerful enough mm -hmm. that I'm having a, a little bit of a difficulty shaking it off. Yeah. So just so you know, this is what this will mean. And let's be honest, I'm to a certain degree faking it, right? This is all a structured risk-free environment. Yeah. Imagine going into an environment where you're dealing with the real deal, what they might be experiencing. So keep that empathy high, right? right. For your fellow human being. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a wonderful learning opportunity for them. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing all this, Nick. It's my pleasure. But I really appreciate you you know, waxing poetic, if you will, <laughs> um, on all the differences. Probably a lot more wax than poetry. <laughs> no, it was, it was lovely talking to you about this. So if you'd like to follow Nick, you can find him on Instagram at Nick DePinto, N-I-C-K-D-E-P-I-N-T-O. 
And you can also find him, as I mentioned in his bio, in this wonderful film on Amazon Prime and Tubi. It's called Meant to be Broken. It's a wonderful movie. Thank so you. check it out, and you guys can find it on Amazon Prime and Tubi. So thank you so much for being here today. It was really lovely to talk to you. My pleasure, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And now you all can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Standardized Patients Podcast. Thanks so much to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song, Mr. Garita. You can find their music at Artlist. And thank you, of course, to Catherine Babalek for the behind-the-scenes work, audio post-production, and cover art. That is our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work. <laughs>